You're listening to Asbury University's Chapel Podcast, recorded live from our campus in Wilmore, Kentucky. Asbury's Chapel Service hosts speakers from around the world to inspire academic excellence and spiritual vitality. We hope you enjoy today's message. It's amazing our reaction when shame comes. It's amazing our reaction when we know we've done something perhaps we shouldn't do, but we've done it. So with little kids, before we get a little older, we learn how to do this, so we cover our face. Like if we get, oh, like and sometimes you, maybe still today we do this, if we do something, oh, we cover our face or our eyes. But the older we get, the better we get at kind of hiding that. I wanna talk today a little bit about what it means to see things. And so the, the theme of this message is really simple. It's no, no light, no sight. And we are in John chapter eight, as we've read already. I will read it again in just a moment. Um, to get us there, I'm gonna talk a little about history and then four specific things we look at, four views of some things. John chapter eight, verse 12. Let me just read it one more time. Jesus spoke again to the people. He said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Now, to understand a little bit about what's going on in this, I gotta tell you a little bit of history. Stay with me for just a second, and then some things will start to make sense. So Jesus, if you pay attention and you know some of what's going on in the rest of John, you can kind of figure out what's happening around this particular one moment when Jesus stands. So he's standing when he says this, in all likelihood, he's standing in the court of women in the temple in Jerusalem. And the court of women isn't, isn't just for women. It's, that would be weird if Jesus was there. It's for men and women. It's where the last place women can get into as they approach the, the Holy of Holies, where God's actual presence is. And so men and women could be in there. He's in the court of women. And he's there for a specific reason, because there in the court of women, this was during the festival called Sukkot. It's called the Feast of Tabernacles. And what the Feast of Tabernacles is, is every year during this time, all the Jews from all over the world would come back. This is one of the big festivals. They come back to Jerusalem, and they remember when they were in the wilderness, when they'd been freed from slavery in Egypt, and they remember how God was faithful even in the midst of their wilderness journey. And so what they do to celebrate this is, it's also called sometimes, it's also called the, the, the gathering of shelters is what they sometimes call it. Because everybody who comes to the city, this is what they do. They find a spot in the city and they build a teeny shack. And it's basically, it's gotta have two sides, it's gotta have a roof, and the roof has to have some holes or some slats in it so you can see through. And, it's, and they spend that whole time of that festival actually in living in one of those little shelters. And the point of it is to remember when they were in the wilderness that it wasn't always comfortable, that it was hard, and that sunlight could get in and, and rain could get in, and they could see the outside and experience that again, and so they were remembering that. Now Jesus is standing in the court of the women, and part of the reason he's there is because what else is in that court? So in that very court are these four giant candelabras. They're kind of like giant pillars. And when I say giant, they're like 75 feet tall. And on top of these, these four pillars, on each one of them is a giant bowl, and in that bowl is a bunch of oil. And basically what they do during Sakat only, they go up there and they light these, and these become giant torches that light up the entire city. And the point of these four things is to help them remember that when they came out of Egypt, and then the Egyptians changed their mind and started chasing them, that God guided them by these pillar of fire. Maybe you remember that from, from Exodus. And so they want to remember that, and it said, 
historians say that these were so bright that there wasn't a single place in the whole city that people wouldn't see the light that came from these four torches, if you will, these, these representatives of God's presence. And so the picture is there's nowhere you can go where you're outside of God's faithfulness. There's nowhere you can go where you're outside of God's light on you and your family and your loved ones. Jesus is standing in this court. And again, remember all this context is going on. Everyone in the, there would have understood what time it is. Everyone there would have understood what's going on. And Jesus says, I am the light of the world. He was trying to say something that was bigger than just a festival. He was trying to say something about what he brings to the world, which is this light that we desperately need. So I want to talk about this in four scenes. What does it mean to have the light of Christ? So the first scene I want to represent is the world and the way that the view that we have on the world and this life that we're in. And I just want to start over here and just say that when we don't have light, we walk around in darkness. Now, it's absolutely true that in order to see, you have to have light in your eyeball. You cannot see if you don't have light. That's why your eyes work. No Light, no sight. And so what, what's interesting is for most of us, we go around and we actually don't see the world through the light of Christ. Instead, we just sort of fumble around in the darkness, sort of sensing where things might be. And if you've ever walked around in a room with the lights off, you know you're kind of, you're using your other senses and you're trying to recognize what's happening. You're feeling, you're listening, you're sensing, but you can't really see. And the same is true of the way we see the world. So we sense some things, right? So maybe, maybe for some of us, when we look at our life and the world that we live in, we sense, we have this deep sense of the brokenness of this world. We feel like things are out of control, like we just don't even know what's happening next. There are wars that are happening. There's brokenness all around us. We have this sense of broken relationship pretty much everywhere we go. We've broken our planet. We feel that. We've broken, like, the, the larger things around us. We sense things like racism and sexism and all the division in our particular world. So we're sensing this, and that really the, the sense that we have is hopelessness. No light no sight. But if we can start seeing our world maybe through a little different perspective, if we can open our eyes for a moment and begin to see the light of Christ shining on our world, then things begin to make a little more sense. See, because when we see things through the light of Christ, then we understand there's a reason why there's so much brokenness. I'm just going to put a name on it. It's sin, right? It's, it's that man, humanity continues to choose our way over God's way. We continue to prioritize ourselves over others and what God would want. And so when we begin to kind of open our eyes and see with the light of Christ this world we live in, we also recognize one other thing. Stay with me on this. This is so important. We begin to see that the world is not left alone. The second view that we begin to see differently if we begin to see the light of Christ as ourselves. Now, when we live in darkness and we begin to think about ourselves, it's kind of interesting how it happens. I just talked about this story where I went in my bedroom, I was ashamed of something, and I covered my head. It's kind of interesting how we have this intrinsic nature in us that we sense in the midst of brokenness when we, when we do things that are selfish, when we do things that break relationship with God or others, how we want to cover that up. We have this deep sense of trying to, to be in darkness, to, that no one would notice us. 
I'd like to say today that one of our significant problems in the world is our general anonymity. In other words, the fact that we can go online and all these places and nobody knows who we are. It's just darkness, covering up the things. And here's what's interesting, right? And you guys feel this and know this, that in the darkness, what happens a lot of times is lots of people move around in the darkness trying to manipulate things for their own advantage. And so when we sense this nothingness that's in the darkness of ourselves, when we sense a brokenness that we've caused and we sense a brokenness in the world around us, then what we begin to do is we try to cover that up. And we cover it up in all kinds of interesting ways. Now, most of us don't go in our room and hide under our covers. Maybe you do, no judgment, but most of us don't do that. We do other things to cover things up. Like, some of us are really good at being busy. And we like to be busy so we don't actually have to face the reality of our own brokenness. Some of us like to fill up our lives, cover things up with the noise of the world around us. Cell phones are great, technology is great, but when it becomes the default thing we do, every moment we have a pause, that's a problem because we don't actually ever come face to face with ourselves and what's really going on. So we live in this darkness and we keep covering things up, covering things up, hiding things. And the sense we have when we're in darkness and there is no light is hopelessness. No light, no sight. But if we begin to see ourselves in the light of Christ, something different happens. Yes, we begin to recognize, maybe even more than in the darkness, that there is a brokenness. The person that I am is not the person that I'm called to be. But when we step into the light of Christ, when we open our eyes and begin to actually see, yes, we recognize that. And yes, we recognize the void, the emptiness between those two things of who I am and who God would call me to be. And that is terrifying. And sometimes what we do, we get a glimpse of that and we run back to the darkness. But if we can stay in the light, what we begin to see, stay with me on this, this is so huge to your transformation. What we begin to notice is it turns out we actually aren't alone in our emptiness. The only one who can be there with us, Jesus, is there with us in the midst of our brokenness and emptiness and, and the distance between who we are and who we know we're called to be, even though in the midst of that we feel and see that brokenness in especially unique ways, we also recognize that we're not alone, that Jesus, the only one who can join us there, has joined us in that place, and he is with us. The third view that I want to look at is God. See, actually, a lot of this darkness and our tendency to move towards darkness stems right here. Because when we live in darkness, how we choose to see God, again, we don't actually see him, so we just sort of sense some things. And what we sense are these things that are maybe spoken around us about who God is. And so we start to think that that God's just a God of anger waiting for us to mess up. And as soon as we mess up, he's going to drop that piano on our head, right? He's the smiting God. And what we begin to do is we begin to start thinking then, okay, well, well what, what I need to do is compare myself to everybody else because I know I don't measure up. And so what I can do is just start to compare myself. And if I can just be better than the people around me, then that's what will matter. And then I'll be okay. And this is, we have this view of God that he's just sort of comparing us to everybody else. We have a view of God that he's just waiting for us to make mistakes. Do you know that most Americans believe that Christianity is simple, a simple equation? If I do more bad things than good things, then I'll go in a bad place. And so my job is to do as many good things as possible to weigh the scales out. 
which of course is sort of folly and foolishness, and we can never do that, but it's also incredibly not scriptural or biblical in any way. (laughs) See, it turns out if we actually have light to see who God is, if we actually allow Christ's light to shine, remember Jesus said, I am the representation of God. I am the physical being of God on earth. This is what God looks like. You wanna know what God looks like? Look at Jesus. And so what do we see? Well, we see a Jesus, a God who is with us. Yes, the world is broken, no doubt. We keep choosing our way over God's way, no doubt. But what we begin to see is not a God who's just tolerating us, but a God who is not a God who's distant from us, but a God who is with us and for us. And in the midst of our struggle and pain and discomfort and the brokenness of this world and the brokenness even we've brought, Jesus is right there with us. And what is he bringing when he comes? He's bringing salvation and grace and bread of life as we heard about in chapel last week. And and he's bringing life and light. He's bringing grace. When we start talking about Jesus, if it doesn't sound like something you desperately need, then we're just not doing it right. Because what Jesus is, is, and the light that he brings to who God is, is good news. What we begin to see is a God who is with us and for us in the midst of everything. The fourth view I want to look at is our future. See, when we live in darkness, when we don't see the light, then our future becomes something that is absolutely terrifying. See, what we begin to do then is when we start looking and thinking about our future, what we begin to see is, Oh, what am I going to do about this? And what about this? And I don't know where this is going to go. And what if in five years I don't have a job and I'm living in my parents' basement? Or, or what if, what if I, I, I don't, I'm not married and have 18 kids? Or what if I have 18 kids? Or right, what if, like we start asking all these questions and all of this, I'm going to use this word one time maybe, this anxiety starts to pile up because we're looking for something in our future, but we can't see it, and all we're living in is darkness, and all we sense is, I don't know where this is going. But when we allow the light of Christ to come, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. When we begin to walk with Jesus, when we begin to open our eyes and see the light, then we begin to see it as not just something that illuminates who we are, but it begins to guide our very steps. I used to lead an outdoor, uh, outdoor adventure company, and we'd take youth groups on trips, like backpacking trips and houseboat camps and rock climbing and all this super fun stuff. And one of my favorite trips, though, was this trip we did. It was a canoeing and caving trip. And there's this one particular cave that I love to take students in. It's right outside of St. Louis. So it's in a state park and you get in a canoe and you ride for a couple miles. It's it's a little ways. And then you get to this place and you see the mouth of this cave. It looks like something from Indiana Jones or something. It's like this giant cathedral kind of entrance to this cave. It's this huge thing. We did this awesome thing. We get up to the top and rappel down into the cave. And then you're walking into the cave and there are bats in the ceiling. and, And it just keeps getting smaller and smaller towards the back. And it looks like it just stops, but it doesn't stop. What actually happens is when you get there, if you, if you have light to see, if you have sight, 
Then you get to the very back and there's a spot where if you turn, it's like a real sharp left, you see a passageway that goes, continues. And so if, you're, <laughs> if you have light to see, you, you go into this passageway and you start walking and, and you're basically following this little stream. And what you begin to notice as you walk along the stream, first you're just walking next to it and then you're kind of walking in and the water starts to get a little bit higher, a little bit higher. And then you're splashing in it and then it gets up to about your ankles and then your calf and then your knees. And then the other thing that happens is the ceiling, the roof begins to get smaller and smaller and so it's sort of and then you're walking and your water's up to your thighs and then it's up to your waist and then you get to the spot where it feels like the cave just stops there's a rock wall right there and if you don't know any better if you don't have someone to help guide you then you think that's the end but what you have to do if you're brave enough some coaching perhaps some coaxing maybe some hand holding you actually dive underneath and you swim for just a couple seconds it feels like 800 years but you swim just for a couple seconds and then you pop out, and you're in this giant room. Now, it's dark, so you don't know anything about this room, but you can kind of sense you're in a big space. You know, the sound is big. You hear the echo. And so what we do is we get all the youth group. They would come through this, swim under this thing. Some of you are like, I would never do that. What are you talking about? But we, we you spread out. You just feel along the wall. And then I would take a, a match, a waterproof match. Have you ever seen one of these? They're not very bright, actually. Kind of a weird glow to them. And I'd light this match. And everybody in the room would just kind of do this. Because even though it's not very bright, in the darkness, light is bright. And so they would kind of guard their eyes. And then just for the few seconds where that match was lit, they begin to look around and see this giant room with ceilings that are hundreds of feet high. And all over it are all these crystals. And it just begins to sparkle in all of this beauty. And literally your breath gets taken away. The last thing you expected to see something so beautiful in this kind of a space. See, when we begin to trust the light, it doesn't mean that we're gonna see everything that's happening in the world, everything that's happening in you, everything that's happening with God, everything that's gonna happen in your future. But it does mean wherever you go, wherever, when you're walking in the light, you will not be in darkness, you will have light. And some of what that means is you will see some brokenness for sure. In fact, you'll see some of that brokenness more clearly than ever before. But you're also going to see beauty because you'll notice that you're not alone that Jesus is right there with you. So the question for us today is, will you trust the light? Will you open your eyes and see light? Jesus is there. Jesus is in your life already. You've heard that millions of times in Sunday school and chapel and wherever else. But the reality is there is light in your life. And I don't know what's going on in your life, but I know most of us feel like we're walking around in the dark, fumbling around, feeling around. And can I tell you the good news here is that there is light. If you'll just say yes and see it. So the question is, do you trust Jesus? Will you follow the light? You might be asking, how do I do that? Well, just really simply, three quick things. One is, you can't follow Jesus if you have no idea who he is or what he says. And one of the temptations at a place like Asbury is that we are at a place that talks about Jesus a lot, and we have cell phones and other things that can get us to the Bible and Scripture a lot, but it actually turns out most of us don't really have any idea who Jesus is or what he did or what he says. So what if we actually started to read the Gospels and just read what Jesus did and said? and said, what kind of light is Jesus bringing? The second thing is that we can't do this alone. We have to do this in community. Will you choose light? Will you choose Christ?